Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Well, good morning again. We are finishing up this series today, and uh, I'm excited to do that. Now, I know there's a lot of people online this morning because there's some sickness going around, as you know. I mean, it seems like it's hit this week, and we've been praying with a lot of people, so if you can't be here today, just know we love that we can connect online, and we're praying for you, and let us know if we can do anything for you as you are at home. Now, this last year has been a stressful year for everyone, obviously, but I had a stress come into my life that had nothing to do with COVID, okay? I had a stress that it changed my life, and that is that I no longer have the duty of driving Miss Ellie Moore around town. No longer am I the one driving to school. No longer am I the one taking her to volleyball. No longer am I the one taking her to a friend's house. Ellie is a full-time driver. And tell me, parents, you know what this feels like. Give me some support. You got this, right? Woo! This has been a growth curve for all of us. I trust Ellie. She's a good driver, but still, right? Well, one night, Ellie was going to be driving home later from someone's house. I knew this, and so, you know, I, I typically try to stay up until she gets home because, you know, dad doing the dad thing. It started raining. Okay, this is going to be the first time Ellie's going to be driving home in the rain. So I get on my phone, and I'm like, Ellie, don't worry about coming home quickly, okay? Just drive slowly, and what do you think I said? Drive slowly and be safe. Drive slowly and be safe. That was the only thing on my dad mind in that moment is just be safe. Well, good news, Ellie did get home safely like that night and everything was good and we've moved on and she's continued to grow and I'm continuing to cry as she grows and all is good. The year is 2009. And I was the student pastor here at the church. And we were on our yearly mission trip to Jamaica. And, and on this mission trip, we would work hard and we would connect with a school there that um, we just love pouring life into them. Well, because the kids worked hard like a typical mission trip, we would take a fun day, right? In that year, 2009, we went to a place called Rick's Cafe, okay? I don't know if you've heard of Rick's Cafe, but we love Rick's Cafe in the Grill, Jamaica. Rick's Cafe has pr probably the top two most beautiful water that I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Here's a picture of Rick's Cafe. Got my picture for me? There we go. There we go. Look at Rick's Cafe. It's just, it's gorgeous. Well, one of the things the students loved to do at Rick's Cafe, they would love to cliff jump. Well, so is Pastor Scott. Let's get our cliff jump on, right? And so they had cliffs that were 10 feet. They had cliffs that were 20 feet. They had cliffs that were 40 feet. It's time to go, right? So the kids start going. Pastor Scott starts going. I get the 10-foot cliff jump, whatever. Got to jump, no problem. Oh, it's good. The water's beautiful. It feels good. I get out. I go up to the 20-foot cliff. 
get on the edge, jump off. It's fantastic. It's just, it just having a great day. Get out of the water. I walk up to the 40-foot, and I walk on the ledge, and I can't make myself do it. I walk out on the ledge, and I, I can't make myself do it. There was something about that moment that didn't feel safe. Even though I watched countless people do it, I just couldn't make myself do it. You know that I still think about that day back in 2009 is the day that I chose safety over doing something that I really wanted to do. And that's embarrassing for me. Like, I want to be the guy that, like, nothing holds me back. I just want to go. But I tell you that story because I actually think I'm in pretty good company. I think I'm in pretty good company that there is this something inside of many of us, this pursuit of safety in life. That safety is not an uncommon thought or desire for many people to have. Sometimes I wonder if it's the thing that we pursue the most in life. I just want to be safe. I just want to have a safety net. We talk about our retirement. I just want my daughter to be safe. I just told you. It's just not physical safety. There's all kinds of safeties that go into life. But I also know there's some adrenaline junkies. It could be online, it could be in this room. And the idea of living this safe life is disgusting to you. It's like, I want no part of that kind of life. And I get it. There's something I want to say to you as well if you're a Jesus follower. I think maybe even for you, there's a chance that there's an element of safety that has crept into your life without even knowing it. Have you ever heard this quote before? The safest place in life is in the center of God's will. Have you ever heard that quote before? The safest place in life is in the center of God's will. I have heard this quote for many years of my life. Do you know where that quote is from? That quote is attributed to a heroic woman named Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you ever heard of Cory Ten Boom before. Cory Ten Boom was a woman who, who was a Christian during the Holocaust. Cory Ten Boom was a woman who had a deep relationship and was passionate about Jesus. And in the midst of the Holocaust, her family was arrested. She was arrested. They were arrested and put into prison. They were arrested and put into concentration camps. They were, they were, this happened to them because she decided... She wanted to help the Jews escape the Nazis. Many members of her family died during this season of her life. Corey Ten Boom was accredited with this phrase, but I think often in life we forget the context that she said this quote. And maybe it gets a little messed up in translation. See, Corey Ten Boom knew pain. Corey Ten Boom knew suffering. 
Corey Tempum knew that life didn't always work out very well. Uh, actually, through her life, I don't know if she ever felt real safety as we know it. And I think this quote came from a deeper place of conviction because I read another quote that she also says, where she said, There is no pit so deep that God, that He, God, is not deeper still. Corey Tenboom knew the pits of life. She knew the depths of the depravity of this world. She knew the sufferings and pains of this world. And so when she said this famous quote, I don't think she was saying safety or talking about safety in the way that we usually think about it. I don't think she was saying that God will keep us safe from everything. I don't think she was saying that you follow God and in his will everything will turn out well, that there will never be a moment you don't feel safe. See, Corey Ten Boom knew something that we all need to know, maybe remember, maybe own. Something that changes how we follow Jesus. And that is simply this, that following Jesus isn't actually safe. Our desire to follow Jesus will not always be met with safety. Because following Jesus comes with a lot of things, but safety is not one of the things that is promised. See, as I said, we're finishing up this series this week on the church, right? How God uh, wants to use our church, one hope, to be part of his rescue plan for this world through Jesus. And I'm hoping as we move on from this series that we will always remember how blessed we are that we get to be part of a movement that was started a couple thousand years ago. We get to be part of God's movement of, of rescuing this world in Jesus' name. I'm hoping we realize how blessed we are, but also that in this blessing, there's a weight of the mission that we also carry. And when we carry the weight of this mission, what that tells us is this is all bigger than us. That this is not about you and me. This is about God and what he is doing. That carrying the weight of this mission says, God, we want to do what you want to do, your desires for this place and your people. And so today, how I want to finish this series is talking about a guy that was part of the moving the early church into even what it is today. Without this person, I don't think the church booms the way it did in those early days of Acts. I want to talk about a guy who knew nothing about safety, who absolutely knew that following Jesus wasn't always safe. And what I'm hoping today does, it reminds us, inspires us, that maybe there's a different way to live life than what we have been taught or what we have convinced ourselves is the true way to follow Jesus. See, last week we finished in Acts 7 about um, the stoning of Stephen, right? And how 
after this stoning, there was violence and persecution for the early followers of Jesus, for the early church. Much of that persecution was done at the hands of a man named Saul. You may know him as Paul. Paul was going city to city, um, just destroying, trying to destroy this movement of these early Christians. He's trying to destroy the church. He, he, he was going city to city, seeing who was proclaiming Jesus, and then he would make them pay the price, and ultimately that price often was death. Well, if you've been to church, if you've grown up in church, you know that's not the final story. You know there's a bigger story to this. If you move from chapter 7 to chapter 8 of Acts, you'll see that Paul goes through a life change, doesn't he? Paul goes through a significant life change. On the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute more Christians, he had an experience with Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. After Paul gave his life to God through Jesus, what we see is the person that was the most intense about destroying the church now becomes the biggest promoter of the church. The person that was standing in the way now becomes the one who tries to, 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 to the movement of the church grow beyond what it was. The thing we can't miss about seeing Paul's life is that after giving his life to Jesus, this is important for you, after we see him giving his life to Jesus, he is willing to do whatever it took to, call, to follow the calling of God in his life. It didn't matter what he went through. It didn't matter where he had to go. It didn't matter what it cost. Paul was gonna be part of the world-changing movement of Jesus Christ. So what Paul then does is he begins to go on these missionary church planting missions journeys. And where we're going to go to today is Acts chapter 14, okay? So it, as always, it'll be on the screen. But if you want to grab your Bible, some people like to follow along. You want to grab your phone, that's great. But what we see is a journey. I want to give you a picture of a part of Paul's life. He went on a few missionary journeys, and this is one of them. Can I see the picture here? After he gave his life to Jesus, you see that he begins to go around his known world. And this journey starts in Antioch. And you see those cities he went through, right? And you can see that it almost becomes a full circle. But there's a reason it doesn't. And let me read Acts chapter 14. You ready? At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. So Iconium was one of those cities, right? It was up near the top. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Now, the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among 
both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, stop there. We once again, as we always do, we have to leave where we are now and go into the world that Paul lived in. This can't be a Bible story for you. This has to be, in our minds, real people that were working towards the movement of the church, expanding into places that had never heard about Jesus. Paul was giving his life for the church, for Jesus to do a work through him. And so picture this. Paul is speaking and lives are being changed. I mean, this is what was happening in the early church. These people were passionate about what they're doing. They just spoke about Jesus and lives would be changed. But not everyone is bought into what Paul is saying. And so Paul becomes a threat to the Jews. Now listen, he was a Jew that was a threat to Christianity. Now he's a Christian and he is a threat to the Jews. So he hears of a plan to kill them. And so they get out of the city and continue their journey of sharing the news of Jesus. And you would think leaving the city and going somewhere else would solve the problem, right? Like you, you, you leave the mess behind and you continue on some other place and it'd be all good. He spoke in these places, people are upset, we're moving on, leave that mess behind. That's how it should work. But that is not how Paul's life works, okay? Picture a real person. This is what he's going through. Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the places he spoke, and won over the crowd. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Okay. Stop there again. Let's talk about the stoning for a second. This is a real deal. You know what stoning would have looked like in that day? Essentially, these people were very upset at Paul. And so what we see is they, they would have tied him up, naked most likely, okay? And they would have dragged him to where they wanted him to go. And if you read other parts of literature, you'll see that most likely they would have found a ledge in that town that had to be at least 10 feet tall. They take him to the edge of the ledge, throw him over. In this story, what you see, it's not written right here, but if you read other places, you'll see what they would do is then take a boulder and then they would drop it on the person and try to land it on their chest. If the dropping didn't kill him and the boulder didn't kill him, then people could just begin to take stones if they had a grievance with him and they could just start pummeling him. And what you'll see in this story is they do so much that they think he's dead. And we can't let this moment pass. I mean, what kind of shape do you think Paul is in that people think he is dead? 
We read stories in scripture and things are said really quickly that we don't let them sink in. Paul was just beaten, stoned so badly, they think he is dead. This is one of our brothers in Christ that came before us, who was such a big part of the movement of Christianity in this world. And he has been beaten with stones so badly that the people walked away thinking he was dead. They drug him outside the city thinking he was dead. But the story doesn't stop there. It says the disciples gathered around him. And after that, he goes back to the place where the people had just stoned him. And then they leave the next day for the city, for the next city. And I'm reading this story and I'm like, why does he do that? Because the job wasn't done. Paul hadn't finished what God had called him to do through his life. And so the story continues, verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city. And they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. He says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. That was their message. Now, wait a second. I, did you get what I just read? Were they just words that a pastor speaks? I'm just reading Acts. Or do you get what was just said? Paul preaches in Antioch and then Iconium. People accept Jesus and people get ticked off. And so he goes to Lystra. And in Lystra, he counts encounters the people who came from those two previous cities, followed him there, convinced people in that town that they're bad news. They stone him. They do all the, drag him out of the city thinking he's dead. It almost works. But God does obviously a work, a healing, and he, can, he, he, he finishes his job in Derby. And now the trip has come to an end. Or it could be. Bring that map back up again. Do you see how this works? It starts in Antioch. There's two Antiochs here. Antioch, and it works its way around in Derby. The mission trip is done. He could have easily gone from Derby to Tarsus, then to Antioch back to where he began. He could have easily gone from Derby and gone to Tarsus. You know who's from Tarsus? Do you know who's from Tarsus? Paul. Paul is from Tarsus. He could have gone home. And after going home, he could have just gone to Antioch where they had received and he was in good standing in Antioch. But what does he do? Look, he goes from Derby back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch. What does he say? Because the believers needed to be encouraged. 
You must go through hardship to enter the kingdom of God. He goes the other direction to the places that tried to kill him. This does not make rational or logical sense. But God had called him to preach and encourage those people. God had called him to do a work. God, and, and, and Paul knew he was going to do whatever God called him to do, no matter what it took. And this is what we learn about Paul, is that Paul is more concerned about his faithfulness than he is concerned about his comfort and safety. This is the characteristic of people that we see in the early church. And Paul's our picture today. He is more concerned about his faithfulness than he is about his safety. Paul knew the risks that were in front of him. But you know what risk was probably more on Paul's mind? The risk it was to not do what God has called him to do. Paul knew following Jesus wasn't safe. He knew what he was getting into. He never went into this relationship with Jesus for safety. This is not what made his decisions. And I'm reading this text this week, and it makes me self-reflect, and I hope it makes you self-reflect. Can this be said about me? What do we consider and think about when we're making life decisions? And is there a chance that we as a church have lost the zeal of the early church where all of this movement and life change and miraculous was happening? We lost that zeal. Is there a chance that as his church we've become too attached to safety when that was never part of God's plan for the church's life? Is there a chance that we don't live with the heart of Paul, but we live with the heart of fear? Let me say something about fear. There's nothing wrong with fear. No, fear is really natural. There's nothing wrong in itself with fear. The problem is when fear ends up making our decisions in life. The problem is when, when, when we become more interested in safety versus being faithful. The problem with fear is when we run from what God has called us to do because we decide whatever he's calling us to is too much of a risk. And so maybe we need to evaluate what kind of fears creep into our lives. What kind of fears do we have that make us run from what God has called us to? Sometimes that's uh, a fear of failure, right? Anybody struggle with that? A fear of failure? A fear of not knowing if the plan that God has for us actually is going to work or it's going to fail. Do you ever struggle with a fear of failure? Maybe it's a fear of the unknown. Some of us do not go into anything unless we know what the result is going to be. And from my experience, I don't typically know the end result of what God is calling me to until I get there. And so many of us are held captive by fear of the unknown. Do you sometimes have a fear of what people will say? Our spouse will say, our kids will say, our parents will say, our coworkers, will, what they'll say. 
what we said about me, because what, what ends up happening is following Jesus the way he's called us to ends up being pretty irrational sometimes. And what do people say when things look kind of odd or crazy? They talk behind your back. They may say something on Facebook. They may say, they may say something to other people and rumors begin to start. And you be, I'm afraid of what people are going to say. Do we sometimes have a fear if we don't have what it takes? Sometimes we're afraid of failure that the plan may not work. Sometimes it's I don't have what it takes. I know God is calling me to something. I know there's a risk that's in front of me. I know I'm supposed to do something, but I don't know if I have what it takes. God, why are you asking me to do this? And sometimes it's a fear of losing what we already have. One of the worst things potentially in our life is the more that we accumulate, the more that ends up taking away our freedom to follow Jesus. Because we're afraid to lose what we already have gained. But you know what scripture says, right? Let me remind you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so my question this morning is, is there any chance as his church, honesty, any chance that God isn't speaking to you about anything in your life recently? Is there anything that maybe God has been pushing you to that feels like a risk? Maybe it's a conversation you're supposed to have that you're avoiding. Maybe it's, it's, it's sharing life with somebody. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's a reconciliation. Maybe I, there's a conversation we're supposed to have, but it's a risk. Maybe is there a financial decision you're supposed to make that you know what you're supposed to do with your finances, but you're not doing it, and you're like, God, I don't want to take this risk, and you're not trusting him to provide. So you don't, is there any chance that, that you... you, you, you that maybe you're supposed to do something at your workplace. Or maybe it's you're supposed to change what your work's supposed to be. Maybe it's there's, you're, you're going a direction. You don't know why you're still going in that direction because you know that God's calling you to another direction. Maybe it's that you are holding on to something from Jesus and he's like, hey, I want you to follow me completely. And you're like, I don't know. That's too much of a risk. Have you been avoiding anything, whatever it is? And the question is, how much is fear driving your life? And here's where I want to end this series today. From the beginning of the series, I said, at the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit was given so that we could follow the calling God has in our life. The Holy Spirit was given so that we can be empowered to do more than even what Jesus did while he was on this earth. We saw how the church began and lived in obedience. We saw the miraculous things that happened. We saw that even through hard times that the church propelled forward in ministry. The Holy Spirit was given so we don't live in fear so we can follow the callings of Jesus. No matter the risk, no matter what it costs, no matter what comes our way, we live in obedience. Because that's what the church was called to do. That's what his people were called to do. We're part of his rescue plan, but we have to begin to live the way he's called, to, called us to live, even if it takes risk. 
because our number one task in life is to glorify Christ through our lives and point people to him because we are part of his plan. And so the reason I wanna end today this way is because maybe for some it's time for us to walk into something that's risky and leave a safety behind because God has called us to. But the big question is, do you trust God enough with your life to take the risk? This summer, uh, my family and I, we went to Grand Canyon. You probably saw the pictures. And I told you maybe in conversations that one of the most fun things we did was we went whitewater rafting. And on this whitewater rafting trip, we stopped in the middle of the day and we ate a sandwich on this like sandy beach area. And, and, and the guy that was doing the trip, he said, hey, while you're eating lunch, if you'd like to, there are some cliffs you can jump off of. Where do you think my mind went to? The water's like 45 or 50 degrees. I don't know how high the cliffs are. But I'm in the Grand Canyon, the Colorado River. I don't know if I'll ever be back here in this moment again. I'm like, kids, let's go. I have no idea what we're walking into, but I'm not making the same mistake twice. So we climbed the rocks. We got to the ledge, and we just jumped. And I'm so glad I did it. That water was so cold. But I got this memory of jumping into the Grand Canyon with my kids. And I don't have to think about that trip the way I think about my Jamaica trip. And I think about that, and I'm like, honestly, that's just how I want to live life. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me because I value safety over valuing Jesus. Because following Jesus isn't safe. But even Corey Ten Boom would say it's worth it. And I think that's where her words came from. As she knew no matter what God calls us into, there's not a pit deeper than where he is going to be with us. And so this is what I want to encourage you today as the church to do. God has something for us, and God has something for you. But it doesn't matter what the plan is if we were going to run to safety more than to the risk of following Jesus, even if we don't know where that takes us, what it costs us, and we don't know the end game. But y'all, God has something for you. God has something for us. But you've got to make the choice. Is your life going to be used to point people to Jesus? Is your life going to be used to make a difference in this world? Is your life going to be used to be part of God's plan? And that may not be safe, but it is going to be incredible. What is God calling you to do today? What's God going to call you to in a week, in a month, in a year? And are you willing to say yes? because the risk is worth it, because I trust God with my life.
That's what I'd like to say about us, his church. Heavenly Father, I don't know your plans completely for our church, but I know you want to use us to make a difference in the world. This church is part of your rescue plan. God, help us to live faithfully in that, no matter the risk, no matter what people may say about us, no matter what people may think about us. God, that we are following you completely, and may that be the story of your people. God, whatever you bring to our lives, may we say yes, because the risk is worth it. And God, may we not be so attached to safety that we run to that more than following your son, Jesus. Thank you for Paul's example. And may we follow that example with our own life. And so we can continue the movement that started well before us so that the church can be strong years after us. So your name will be glorified years after us. So that you will be magnified years after we're gone. We give you ourselves today. It's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.